Dunkin' Holder is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with up to 60% off prices. Say you want to go to the upcoming Peach Bowl game between LSU and Oklahoma. You know that's going to be a tough ticket over in Atlanta. Pop on the GameTime app couple of taps there and you will be looking at the best ticket prices available. So check out the GameTime app. It's simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. What is that when you jump around and carry on and the who dad who dad stuff. Who dad, you know, that's really kind of a, a fan, you know, that's that's our our, our chant. Duncan Holder podcast back at you here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here with you. Of course, if you're listening to this through the Athletics app, we appreciate the business and we'll keep bringing it to you theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. But of course, you could also listen to this, and many of you do, our Monday editions on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. So rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell 20, tell 50 to jump on the Duncan Holder podcast. And per normal, after a weekend, plenty to talk about. Of course, we're going to jump into LSU's big-time win over Georgia, number one in the college football playoff. Uh, Joe Burrow is now going to be known as Joe Heisman, and we'll dive into all of that later on in this podcast. But Jeff and I were in the Superdome on Sunday witnessing uh, which will probably be deemed the greatest game in this year's regular season. Uh, I can't see another one in the next three weeks surpassing this one. But the Saints lose the best game of the regular season this time. 49ers 48, Saints 46, so much to go through. And Jeff, I put in the lead of my column, uh, frustrated Sean Payton says he's got to go through this game at least two or three times because there's so many things, uh, twists and turns in this game just for him to even wrap his head around. And, uh, you know, Jeff, uh, kind of alluding back to my column on The Athletic, uh, I think there's a curiosity here if there uh, is this just maybe a, a one blip uh, for the Saints, or is are there bigger problems on this team? And I think, uh, to be fair, I think you got to look at it kind of w- w- in a balancing act with uh, some aspects on the blip side and some aspects that maybe there's some problems that uh, can co- are either continue to arise or may be continuing as we go forward. Yeah, I kind of fall along the same lines. Like there's a little bit of both. I think San Francisco exposed – some of the issues that you and I have talked about all season long, and it took a good team with a really good coaching staff to exploit it. And that's the exact same thing that Sean Payton and the Saints do to their opponents. And I know everybody's kind of panicking right now about the defense because they, they were kind of uh, obviously strafed yesterday, 48 points. Uh, they gave up eight scores and 12 drives. Uh, but look, that doesn't mean the Saints' defense is suddenly terrible. Just like San Francisco gave up 46 points to the Saints, and we know they've got a good defense. Uh, sometimes, you know, you have to just tip your cap to the opponent. And I feel like San Francisco had a great game plan. I wrote about 
Uh, Kyle Shanahan, who I thought called a great game. I thought Jimmy Garoppolo played one of the best games of his career. It took that for him to uh, pull out a victory and for him to, to kind of match Drew Brees with five touchdown passes in that environment. So I came away, to be honest with you, and this is probably what, not what Saints fans want to hear, but I came away impressed by the 49ers, and I wasn't completely discouraged by the Saints. I thought they played well enough to win, certainly on offense. Uh, defensively, they they obviously have to play better, and I think they will. Uh, but I don't think all hope is lost at all. I mean, you know, look, look at just a year ago, Larry. A year ago, the Saints beat the Rams in a similar type of big game, secured home field advantage, and what happened? I mean, the Rams came here later in the year and beat the Saints and went to the Super Bowl. I think the same thing could happen this year, reverse, and the Saints maybe go to San Francisco and win when it matters most. Yeah, look, it took a big-time effort by the 49ers offense to win this game, and you wonder if that can be replicated. And uh, Look, it's funny because in the locker room after the game yesterday, some players, I feel like younger players, were despondent, and some of them didn't want to speak after the game. And it seemed like the veteran players who spoke, uh, particularly, I'll point to Teron Armstead, who I can't believe he even played. Honestly, I mean, he he literally had a walking boot and a crutch next to him after the game because he's playing through a high ankle sprain, and he says it's not easy to do. Uh, so. Uh, obviously, that's not, I'm not pointing that as an excuse. I'm just telling you what's going on with him. But his reaction after the game, I think, actually showed a lot of maturity. He said this was a fun game to play in and a wild atmosphere. And look, sometimes you win these and sometimes you lose them and you don't expect to be in these types of games. And I don't think the 49ers or the Saints figured it would be this massive shootout. Maybe it would be kind of nip and tuck within the, the 20s, not the 40s. But it's almost one of these things where you look at it and, yes, there are always corrections to be made after the game. But, look, it, it, you know, you win these games sometimes and there's a lot of things that you still need to correct. So the fact that you lost uh, maybe covers up a lot of the good that you did, but obviously there's some poor that you did as well. But I feel like that attitude needs to go forward. You can't think like, oh, my gosh, we gave up 48 points and the world's about to end because that just doesn't happen for both sides of the uh, uh, for the 49ers and the Saints, Jeff. Well, I think the 49ers won this game in the same way the Saints beat the Texans earlier this year. It was almost exactly the same thing, right? The Texans scored late in the game, a touchdown, they get the lead, and they gave they they gave Drew Brees and the Saints just a little too much time to operate, and they drove down and kicked a field goal one. It was the exact same situation, and just like that game and the Saints won didn't wash away all the issues that the Saints had in that game. This game doesn't all of a sudden signal the sky is falling. I think if the Saints would have had a minute more to go on the clock, Drew Brees would have driven down and kicked a field. So it's it's just one of those great games. I think we should appreciate how good it was, how crazy it was. It was an insane environment. Every I went to the 49ers locker room afterward. Every player there was – complimentary and not only of the Saints, how much respect they had for how they played, how they competed, but also the fans, how crazy the, the atmosphere was, uh, how, how difficult it was for them to operate in that noise. And they played a great game and won. Uh, you know. And, and if they play again, I think it'll be another great game because I think these two teams are well-coached. I think they're complete teams. 
Uh, they both overcame a lot of adversity yesterday. Both teams had a lot of guys going out with injuries, played the game with players that didn't uh, – that didn't the starters that were out with injuries. And, um, man, I, I just thought it was fantastic. And um, I, I'm not discouraged with what happened with the Saints at all other than they've got to obviously play better defensively. And, and I was a little surprised, Larry, to be honest with you, that San Francisco was able to run the ball as well as they did. But I think a lot of that could be attributed to missing both uh, two of your starting linebackers. Yeah, I think you got to point to that as well. And you look at when will A.J. Klein and Kiko Alonso come back. Uh, those two guys have been pretty good against the run. And, of course, Alonso has been getting better. Uh, also, though, look, Sheldon Rankin's left with an injury. Trey Hendrickson, I think, toward the end of the game, uh, left uh, left the field. I'm not sure how serious that was either. Uh, so you had some of those guys leave as well, and uh, but so I, I I agree that they didn't expect San Francisco to be able to run the ball for 162 yards, 6.8 yards a pop, and and Jeff, I feel like in that run game the Saints have been having some issues whenever a receiver ends up getting a you know a handoff or a jet sweep, and you know I, it doesn't happen often, but it, I feel like look you look at uh, Debo Samuel, 31 yards. I mean, look, those the fact that they gave up so many big plays in the run game, I think, is troubling. 19 yards, longest one for uh, Mostert, Mr. Voodoo Dome, who lived up. Hey, give him credit. He lived up to the smack yep. talk. Uh, uh, and then Matt Breida, long run of 28 yards. Samuel, a long run of 31 yards. That's something I feel like you get those guys a little healthier you could clean that up. So I don't think that's something I'm going to be thinking, oh my gosh, all of a sudden they're a sieve and everyone's going to run on them. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I just thought it was a fantastic game. And, and I thought, I wrote about Kyle Shanahan, I thought he called the exact kind of game that you have to call to beat the Saints in a game like that. I mean, the Saints just don't lose these shootouts. How many have we, how, how many have we covered over the years in the Dome that in a big game, they just don't lose? I mean, it overshadowed one of the great games ever by Drew Brees and Sean Payton. I mean, they put up uh, 46 points, uh, six touchdowns and two field goals. So they got eight scores on 12 drives. Brees throws for 349 yards, five touchdowns, only the 11th time in his career he's done that, which is the most in the history of the NFL. His ratings, 138.4, no interceptions. Uh, He played phenomenal against the number one pass defense in the league, uh, and somehow the 49ers still won. And I think it was because of how well Kyle Shanahan managed the game. A good example, Larry, like Saints get up 20-7, to seven, right? I think it was the first play of the second quarter. They score uh, Josh Hill on a little fullback uh, re-option out of the backfield. The dome is rocking. It's 20-7. to seven. Uh, Most teams would knuckle under in that situation. I mean, we've seen it happen before. Breeze is hot. What do they do? They come out and they, they throw a, a play-action fake, seven-step drop, a bomb to Emmanuel Sanders. Yes, it was misplayed by, by Marcus Williams, but the fact is they called that shot play in that situation. That's what Sean Payton does to other teams. You know, he He's bold in that situation. Shanahan answers with a bold play. They get a quick score and get the momentum back. That's exactly what you have to do to beat the Saints in a game like that. You have to match their aggressiveness, and I thought the 49ers did. And look, you saw different types of plays by the 49ers, some gadget plays. The Saints, of course, tried to do some gadget plays. And Jeff, we might as well just talk about it now. 
the pass interference not called, holding not called, fake punt uh, debacle that happened for the Saints. And you tweeted it out, and I tweeted it out as well. The explanation from Mike Pereira, of course, uh, who used to be the head of officiating and now works at Fox. And Jeff, I'm going to be frank. I'm just not sure Sean Payton knew the rule. I just don't, because you can't get called for pass interference. And it's funny, players, surprisingly, I still follow Nate Stupar. He's like Mr. Special Teams for the Saints for so many years. He immediately tweets out, well, you can't have pass interference on that play. And then people are saying, well, uh, Moore was holding Traquan Smith, but it needs to be a literal takedown in that situation. If it's just your garden variety, say he did get called for holding, it wouldn't be, say, defensive holding for an automatic first down. So I'm just wondering if they knew the rules. I didn't know it. I mean, let's be frank. I don't, probably you didn't know it, and probably a lot of people didn't know it. But still, you know, that, that play, you're wondering, all right, did they know the rules or not? But regardless, I still think 4th and 18 punt the ball. I think that actually is what we should focus on. I think Sean Payton maybe made a couple of questionable decisions where if it works, of course, you're you're praising him, but it didn't. And so, you know, that's kind of live by the sword, die by the sword a little. Yeah, I I agree. I think what, frankly, I think probably, and and Sean Payton probably never admit this publicly, I think he probably trusted Darren Rizzi to know that rule and that he agreed to do the fake punt because Darren Rizzi had con- had convinced him it would be successful in that situation. And I think he's trusting his special teams coordinator to know that rule. I, I really believe that. Uh, just because I know last year when the Saints faked a punt against the Eagles in the playoffs, uh, I've had people on the team tell me that Sean Payton really didn't make that call. That was Mike Westoff. He listens to Mike Westoff in that situation, and he just kind of okays the call in that situation as the head coach. And I think in this situation, he's trusting that Rizzi would know, and clearly they didn't know. And, and I agree with you. I mean, after watching it again, I understand the intent of the rule. Uh, what really they screwed up was they, they shouldn't have had the guy out wide as the one they were going to throw the ball to. If you're going to fake the punt like like Arizona did against Tampa Bay early this year, I've seen that going all over social media because there was pass interference called on that. And Mike Pereira clearly states it can't be the widest player uh, on the play. In other words, uh, in the in the Arizona-Tampa game, Pharaoh Cooper, I think, went out and um, he ended up getting interfered with, but he wasn't the wide player because that's because the gunner is always going to be initiating contact. Uh, so the Saints just probably set up a flawed fake punt in that situation, and they have to kind of own it. And I agree with you, fourth and 18. But again, that was another aggressive play that that Peyton called, and he came into that game. You could tell goes for it on, uh, goes for two early on, on the one yard line. Uh, he came into that game with an aggressive mindset, and you can't, uh, you can question it, but you, you you know you have to live with that if you if you're a Saints fan. Sean Payton, Drew Brees, this group has won a lot of games with that mindset, and you can't go well. It didn't work this time. So it's all wrong. I mean, I think you have to live with that. Right. Uh, You live by the sword, you die by the sword. I mean, that's just what it is. We've seen them be successful in so many of these plays before. uh, But still, when it goes wrong, you think, oh, well, what could he have done? Uh, Sean Payton's going to live aggressive. Just look at the way they approached kickoffs. I mean, Deontay Harris, they were saying, go run, young man. And he he had a really good game. I mean, he was a jump start. Yeah, for a lot of those and seemed like 
confident, uh, like probably maybe the one of more confident games we've seen from him. And uh, totally off the top of my head, Jeff, I'm wondering, uh, look, if Sean Payton is probably questioning, a li- I'm not saying Dan Rizzi's going to get fired or anything, but he's last few weeks, special teams in some situations has been rough. I mean, the onside kicks and now this debacle and, you know, I'm wondering what, what Sean Payton's thinking about that because we've seen in the last few years, I guess, since ever since Greg McMahon was out, uh, he's kind of run through some special teams guys. So he's probably wondering, man, all right, what's going on with this guy or, or, or this unit, really? Yeah, look, you make a great point, I think, about uh, Deontay Harris, his role. So that's a good example, right? I mean, he basically believes in Deontay Harris. He's told people that he's the best return man in the league. And he aggressively tells him to bring the ball out of the end zone every time. And look how many times it worked yesterday. Look how many times he didn't fair catch a punt, got a big return, had a 50-something yard return on a kickoff. Uh, And that could backfire on you. One time I think he got tackled at the 14 or 15. But that's, again, sometimes you have to live with the the good with the bad, you know, the bad with the good. And, um, you know, Darren Rizzi, I'm sure, was a part of those special teams returns. And that was positive. But uh, certainly – uh, the fake punt call was a, a mistake by the coaching staff. Maybe they thought they would get the call in that situation, but clearly um, John Hussey and his crew, I think, got it right, and they're not going to get a holding call on that. People are just, I hate to say it, but they're just grasping. You know, They're grasping now for something when actually, um, actually I think the crew got it right. Yeah, I think they did too. Uh, and You just look at it, and I think Saints fans, and I think NFL fans in general are just so – uh, leery on officiating because we've seen so many things go awry uh, with uh, with calls and we have great technology where things can get caught way easier than they could uh, you know many years ago and officiating is scrutinized more than anything else and Sean Payton's reaction after the game uh, you know people are wondering if maybe his his reaction to Catherine Terrell's question because she was asking about the fake punt and the call and Sean Payton says he does not want to answer one officiating question and people are wondering well is Sean frustrated with officiating or just frustrated with the way the game and he just wasn't having it I think it was the latter I think he was just it was a wild game lots yep. of things could have determined one way or the other I think he was spent emotionally and you know after the game even I forget who asked the question. Um, Sean Payton snapped back. You want to tell me how I'm supposed to feel right now, even though he was asked about being able to come back and take the lead with less than a minute left. And he just wasn't happy uh, just knowing that this game against a good team slipped through their fingers in a wild and woolly fashion. So I don't think, you know, I I think he was just frayed mentally uh, overall, to be honest. Yeah, I I could not agree more. Uh, You know, I think he realized – uh, just it's compounded, right? It's compounded with what's happened the last two years. Sean Payton is a big picture thinker, and he understands they've got another window here to make hay and win another Super Bowl. They've had a couple of just unbelievably uh, unique situations go against them in the last two playoffs, including a bad call that was out of their hands. Like most coaches, he's a control freak. He couldn't control that bad call. And now he gets into a situation where – they haven't played their best football. They're 10-2. and two. They've got the 49ers on their home field. They drive down, execute an incredible two-minute drill, get a touchdown. I mean, they executed flawlessly the last two drives. 
to get two touchdowns on the best defense in the NFL, and they leave just a little too much time on the clock. They almost scored too quickly there, and they give up a fourth and what was it, fourth and two play to George Kittle, this big long. I mean, it was just a crazy game and a crazy finish, and he knows they had an opportunity there to get the top seed and be in control in the NFC again, and it just slipped through their grasp right at the very end. And now the road is much tougher, and we're going in asking him questions a few minutes afterwards. I think he completely was uh, understandable with, with how frustrated he was, but I don't think it had anything to do with the officiating. The officiating did not impact that game one way or the other. There was 48 to 46. There was, uh, you know, 16 scores. There was all kinds of plays. I actually thought it was well called, Larry. I mean, there were they let them play. Dude, I can't remember a holding call on the offensive line. You know what I mean? They they let them play. And if you go back and watch the game again, guys are pushing off on receivers, getting open. They let it go both ways. Uh, that's a well officiated game. So I just I'm kind of like our boss Jennifer Armstrong. I'm tired of talking about officiating. Tired of picking one call against your team. Uh, it's a loser's mentality, and you don't hear Sean Payton and Drew Brees doing it, and yet everyone else seems to be doing it. Yeah, look, just to point out the penalties, Saints had five, 49ers had 10. And I think the only call where I would really look at it and wonder, and that's just the nature of the NFL, uh, the Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the hit, I don't know what he yep. can do. Like, that's the one where I'm just like, that's the head scratcher to me. And so... Yeah, you know, I agree. Yeah, so I other, agree. That but, was that's a bad call. Yeah, I think that's a bad call, and that extended the drive. You know, 49ers would have likely gotten points. It probably would have kicked a field goal. Uh, so it could have been, you know, you never know. Instead of the the 49ers uh, winning on the field goal, maybe they tied up at the end. You know, so that call, I do think that that hurt them. But that was all one drive. I mean, it didn't affect the other 11 billion scoring drives that the 49ers had. Let's be frank. Now, now, Jeff. Just some concerns. How concerned are you with the secondary? I feel like for a while it has been pretty good throughout this season, and then we've seen them just kind of have lapses late in the game and, and leaving leaving teams open to possibly coming back. And then we saw some really some miscues. I'd say I'd point to Eli Apple. I'd point to Von Bell. Von Bell fell down on that uh, Emmanuel Sanders and kind of left – uh, Marcus Williams in in a bad spot, and he obviously poorly played that. And people were trying to say, "Oh, well, he got pulled down." No, he did not got pulled down. He just he didn't fell get pulled down. He fell down. I mean, come on. And so, right, uh, he was in poor position. Right, yeah. right. How concerned are you with this secondary? I mean, like you look going forward, they've got the Colts. Uh, Tennessee's playing really well now. Ryan Tannehill, it's like Renaissance man. He's he's come back and 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 really helped Tennessee get into playoff contention. And then when you get to the playoffs, I mean, look, you're going to be facing the big boys. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo. You could face Aaron Rodgers. You could face Russell Wilson. How how concerned are you with uh, with the play of the secondary? Not just in these last couple of games, but moving forward, do you think it's going to be an issue? No, I th- well, I think it's going to be an issue when they play, like you said, the elite quarterbacks. Uh, teams with passing games that can exploit the Saints' depth in the secondary. But I think most teams are kind of like that. You know, I think most teams don't have two great corners, two Marshawn Lattimore's. It's just hard to find those guys. So I don't think they're, uh, you know, much different than anybody else. That's that's an area that is going to be a weak spot that they have to try and scheme up and cover up and, uh, you know, just overcome it. 
I was I was a little surprised. I mean, they got ended up with three sacks. I thought they had decent pressure, but when I went back and watched the game again, Larry, it just I think the pass rush was okay. I just think San Francisco got the ball out quick. And again, I keep, I keep coming back to the same thing. I think Shanahan and the 49ers staff had the scout Saints well scouted. They knew where to attack them. They knew to go after Eli Apple. They knew exactly the kind of run plays that would work against that run defense. They went after Craig Robertson, a new guy at linebacker. Just like the Saints did, if you look conversely, the Saints attacked the free safety that was filling in for Jaquisti Tart. They went right after him, scored two touchdowns on him with, with Jerry Cook. Uh, you know, As soon as Richard Sherman went out of the game on that two-minute drill, I saw Sean Payton call Drew Brees over, and they went right after his replacement. That's what good teams do. So, you know, I just came away thinking it was a really well-coached game, a well-played game, and, yes, the defense obviously has to shore things up, but I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, I just think they are what they are in the secondary, and um, they would win that game probably 95% of the time. It was just the 5% of the time yesterday that the 49ers won. Yeah, I, I do think that you just got to figure things out. I mean, when you we could see these types of games in the playoffs and uh, Drew Brees does it to good teams. You know, good offenses sometimes can just get after a defense and, and they're secondary no matter who's back there. So, yeah, I, I think it's maybe it's – not as big of a strength as we thought, but still, I don't think it's it's something that's going to uh, totally be the detriment because I think they're going to have to figure things out. I think at watching this game and this happening in the regular season is probably a good thing for the Saints in terms of they see holes and they can coach it up before getting to the postseason. I mean, think that you know, if this happens in the postseason, you're done. At least it happens now. Uh, rather than in four weeks, and then you're wondering what the hell happened to the Saints team. Yeah, I think the one thing that was pretty clear yesterday, Larry, on the other side of the ball, I mean, the Saints scored a lot of points and put up a lot of yards. and But um, it, it looks to me like they're trying to get Alvin Kamara going, and a lot of people have been reaching out to me today. I'm sure they've reached out to you wondering why Kamara's getting all the touches and, and Latavius Murray had more production. Um and I just think he knows that Kamara's a guy they've got to get going, and they were trying to feed him the ball. And for whatever reason, it seemed like every time he got the ball, I was lamenting to you in the press box. There was just nowhere to run. And um, sometimes that happens, right? But it, it, they know they've got to get Kamara back to being a playmaker. Uh, he's a difference maker out in, out in open space. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't quite happened. He had a decent game yesterday, but he, he had one really nice kind of Kamara-type run. Uh, but they haven't gotten those big explosive plays out of him yet, and uh, I think they're going to need that going forward. Well, Jeff, I don't know. Decent game might be a bit of a <laughs> might be a bit of a stretch. I mean, I look at it; he had 17 touches for 43 yards. I mean, I think people are wondering: uh, is he hurt? Anything else going on behind the scenes? Does he miss Mark Ingram? I mean, he, is he happy? You know, things like that, and so. Uh, maybe there's more to it. I don't have anything concrete, and I'm, I'm not sure if you have anything concrete to kind of put on that. But the fact of the matter is they need this guy. And especially, look, what if Jared Cook misses Monday? That's another weapon, and you'd probably have to lean on him more. And so, uh, you know, they just need him. And you're wondering, man, where is he? Because even, say, someone like Mike Thomas, I mean, they knew the ball was going to him. He still catches 11 balls, 134 yards, 
Big 49-yard reception on a perfect throw by Breeze with touchdown. And Mike Thomas has already surpassed his totals from last year in yardage. And he's got three games left. And, you know, I don't know. I'm, I, it's, I, I, I don't want to just throw out speculation with Kamara, but, I, look, something's got to be up, you know, because isn't it the first time or second time or uh, we've seen where it, he just hasn't been the same kind of guy? I mean, you know? Yeah, I just, I just haven't seen – when I go back and watch the game, I just don't see a lot of yards he's leaving on the field. You know, he gets the ball, there's like a swarm of four or five guys on him. I mean, I don't know if Jim Brown would make yards in those situations. Um, so I, I think they're clearly trying to get him going. Maybe teams have him so well scouted now. Uh, maybe that's the other thing that's happening. Uh, he made a nice run, look Kamara-esque, where he tried to leap over the defender and, uh, you know, showed some burst. Uh, but that said, I would say this, Latavius Murray is playing very well, and he's playing better than I gave him credit for earlier in the season. He's making more guys miss an open field. He's making some really nice runs, and that's good to know. I mean, if, you, if you're a Saints fan, that you got two backs like that. Yesterday they unveiled a lot of that uh, posse package where you, or pony package where you have both Murray and Kamara in the in the game at the same time. It was very effective, including both players getting the ball in that situation. So I think that's something that they can hang their hat on going forward. But all in all, man, you score 46 points. And, and I think the other thing, uh, Larry, that we haven't really talked much about, we've referenced it, how many times leading into this game, I was answering questions from people saying Mike Florio said Drew Brees can't throw deep, they can't do it. Drew Brees, no one's a question to him today. The guy throws five touchdown passes. He throws a couple of really nice deep balls. Uh, They get some chunk plays. He lights up the best defense in the league uh, with one of the all-time epic performances. And you don't hear any of those questions about Drew Brees being uh, almost 41 now. I just totally dismissed that unless, like, I see a Peyton Manning-esque drop-off. I'm just tired of answering him. I've talked about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, he played phenomenally. I mean, how... How many quarterbacks have a 138 rating and lose? I mean, that's that's hard to do. Uh, I feel like one one game, maybe in the last couple of years, Matt Ryan had like a 140 rating against the Saints and lost. So sometimes this just happens. But yeah, I'm I'm not going to be questioning Drew Brees really anytime soon. Sorry, I'm I'm not going to buy into that logic. But uh, but all right, Jeff, let's switch over to another number nine, Joe Heisman, Joe Burrow. Who cares how you spell his name? All I know is that. He put it on Georgia. LSU's defense played well in, in in what was really kind of a road environment. I mean, it was like 80-20 in that stadium. I think LSU fans were holding off for college football playoff, which I kind of don't blame them. But still, it was like a road environment. And so they went out there and just really took it to Georgia. And they're number one in the college football playoff. I'm glad the college football playoff committee got it right uh, now, if Ohio State would have played a better game against Wisconsin, maybe that wouldn't have happened. But, uh, you know, the committee even admitted that LSU's defense the last couple of weeks probably put gave them the edge. And uh, so, Jeff, it's uh, we're just w- marching into one of the most historic seasons in LSU history. And, uh, like, we all we've done, done basically all season is praise LSU, praise LSU, and I mean, you can't really stop. I mean, they've gotten to the top, and and now they're number one and have to live up to their seeding 
uh, taking on Oklahoma. And uh, if they get past that, they'll be in New Orleans. Well, I think they're going to be in New Orleans. I don't think Oklahoma's defense can slow down this freight train. I mean, LSU's offense is unbelievable. It's got to be one of the greatest offensive seasons in the history of college football. I mean, the numbers they're putting up against every team. I mean, Georgia's got a good defense. I know they were missing a couple of guys, but uh, LSU just lit them up, uh, made that game uh, into a rout against a team that hasn't been really routed by anybody all year long. And Joe Burrows had a season for the ages. He's going to win the Heisman, there's no doubt. I, I think he's going to win by one of the m- biggest margins in the history of the voting. It's, it's a no-brainer. And this kind of storybook season continues for LSU. And and the committee did the right thing. After all that angst and anxiety and, you know, crunching of numbers and weighing the schedule, it all worked out. And now LSU gets the number one seed. And that Ohio State-Clemson game is going to be really, really competitive. And whoever wins that game and I think gets LSU is going to have their hands full because you're going to be playing LSU basically in a home game in New Orleans. Yeah, and you look at the way that LSU won that game. I mean, like they obviously did it through the air, and the run game was a little bit tempered. But hey, who cares? Uh, if they're they're moving the football, getting points. But I think what we need to focus in on because we know Joe's going to win the Heisman, and Jamar Chase has been incredible. Great to see Terrace Marshall uh, playing well. He even dropped a potential touchdown and still caught two more. I mean, that's that just shows you the confidence Joe Burrow has in all of his receivers. And, of course, the Heisman play when Joe Burrow makes a guy miss twice and goes Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson or whoever the hell you want to call him and and, and, and throws the big pass to Justin Jefferson. Another Heisman moment. I was, I, was, I was thinking, Jeff, his Heisman moment was actually when he had his pants pulled down and showed his, uh, his bare posterior, <laughs> uh, posterior, but, you know, people maybe weren't, weren't, weren't buying in on that one. But, look, I think defensively we got to look at LSU and – see that the last two weeks they've played more up to the reputation of an LSU defense. I think they were able to get pressure. Uh, Caleb on chase on, you saw him playing well. Grant Delpit looked healthier and my goodness, Derek Stingley puts on a show, two picks. And it's amazing to me, Jeff, that his technique is so good. It is so good. I mean, on the first interception, Derek Stingley, he's running stride for stride with the receiver you know, his back is turned to the quarterback, but then he sees and reacts to the receiver, turns around, and is in perfect position for the pick. I mean, to me, that makes it, – he's well beyond his years, and, uh, you know, people want to say he's not ready for the NFL. Yeah, right. That kid is ready for the NFL now, and LSU's got him for two more years. I've covered two guys that I think could have gone pro right after their freshman year in college. One was Fournette. And the other is Derek Stingley. I mean, I think they're rare physical specimens that have the maturity mentally and also physically to go straight to the NFL after one year of college. He's a rare, rare cat. I mean, he's probably the best cornerback uh, in all of college football, and he's a freshman. Right? You know, he was playing in high school a year ago. And you're right, Larry. That's a great point about how well LSU's defense is coming on. That's the biggest concern I have with their chances of winning a national title. When they get in there against Ohio State or Clemson, who has the athletes to match them uh, player for player, and then it's going to come down to, you know, can your defense hold up against another really good offense? Because we know LSU's offense, I think, no matter who they play, is going to put up points and and score. Um, But the defense, the way it's coming on, starting to play up to its potential. And Dave Aranda's schemes, uh, we know are as good as anybody – um, I just think LSU's 
uh, has to be the prohibitive favorite to win it all. You and I were talking in the press box last night about uh, the coaching staff that Ed Ogeron's brought in. Uh, it gets overlooked, uh, but he's got basically four former Saints coaches on the staff. Uh, he's got guys uh, as analysts that are former NFL coaches. Uh, they're just they're almost like a professional staff now, and that upgrade is clear when you watch them play. I mean, the X's and O's are so much better and so much uh, more uh, progressive in what they're doing. And now you've got the we've always, LSU's always had the great athletes on both sides of the ball. Now they've got the coaching staff to take advantage of it, and you got to credit Ed Ogeron for for taking care of that aspect of the program and making it an elite level staff. Yeah. And it, it's something that you, you could see. And it's funny. I'm on the field after the game and I literally run right into guys I've known for uh, more than a decade, Greg McMahon and Bill Johnson <laughs> I literally turn into Greg yeah. McMahon. And he's like, Larry, and he like gives me this hug and you're kind of a media member and you're like, Oh, okay. You're hugging me, but all right, I'll just go with it. Sure. What am I, what are you going to do? <laughs> and he's just like, uh, he's like, man, is this cool or what? And so it's funny that those guys are enjoying the college football uh, championship run and all this stuff when they've been both been part of the, the saints. Uh, sorry, Brody Miller mentioning saints, <laughs> LSU type run and a type of season that they have. And, you know, Look, the point spread right now is, what, double digits at this point for LSU and Oklahoma. And I think LSU, I mean, look, we're going to be able to talk about this game. It's in a few weeks, so we've got time to really dive into the game. But LSU, just looking at Oklahoma, they certainly have an advantage knowing Jalen Hurts. I mean, I think that's certainly something that uh, is going to aid them uh, in their preparation. He's they're no stranger. I mean, he's he's playing much better, of course, and it's kind of a similar run and gun offense. And I mean, the only way LSU loses this game is if all of a sudden Joe Burrow starts making mistakes. And Jeff, I have rarely seen him make a mistake at all. Period in this entire season. He's almost like a pro, right? Playing at this point. I mean, he's an older guy, transferred in. Uh, I think it was he had one class this year. So basically all he's, Joe Burrow does is spend time uh, in his apartment breaking down film. He's a total uh, gym rat uh, as far as film study, uh, son of a coach. So it's almost like the Saints uh, – I'm sorry, the LSU have a pro quarterback and a pro offensive system, and uh, we just haven't seen anything like this. For LSU fans, it's, it's such, I think, a welcome – a change to what they've been accustomed to over the years. And it, it didn't just improve, right, Larry? I mean, it didn't just get better. I mean, it went all the way to the other end to where it's they're the best in the country at it. That's what's so amazing at it. The transformation wasn't gradual. It, did, it wasn't something where they just got middle of the pack one year and then the next year they were in the, the elite level. I mean, they went from one of the most archaic offenses in, in college football to like the number one offense or one of the best uh, that we've ever seen uh, seemingly overnight. Yeah, it's it's been incredible. And had a chance to catch up with Joe Brady after the game. I'm going to be writing about him later on this week. And it's a remarkable rise for someone who a year ago was preparing for Tampa. I literally said, you know, a year ago, I, I, that's how I framed the question. You know, a le- year ago you were preparing for Tampa, and now you're standing here talking to us. And he's like, yeah, but I was probably still doing the same thing, preparation and da 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 So uh, some good insight from Joe Brady. I'll expound on that later on this week. 
at The Athletic. But before we wrap up this pre- uh, this podcast here, the real winner this weekend is me, Larry Holder, Rummel State Champion. Danielle, our producer, has oh, no idea God. what I'm going to be sending over because Rummel beat Catholic High in Baton Rouge. Great fourth quarter. It was one of those epic finishes to a, to a state championship game. But remember way back when, when Will Guillory tried to throw the gauntlet at me and tried to make a bet? Well, Rummel beat Brother Martin in the state semifinals to get to the finals. So now that Rummel beat Brother Martin twice, Danielle has no idea, but she better be ready. Will Guillory sings Rummel's fight song, and we're going to play it right here on the pod, Jeff. Are you excited? Good Lord. I, I thought that, <laughs> that he was welching on that. Oh, I, I was, was giving I, Will I was letting yeah, him off I was the him hook. Grief. I was letting him off the hook, and then I, I said, I, I, "I was like, nope." After beating him twice, nope. So as we end this podcast here, no one will listen again because I'm sure Will has butchered this song. I personally haven't listened to it, so when we actually put the pod out there, it will be the first time I hear it because I, I, I fear for my ears; they may bleed. And again, Danielle, I apologize for this to you, but. Uh, look, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder Podcast. Will Guillory, I mean, he's got to sing something, right? The Pels are so bad. I mean, we, you know, he's got to be singing something, have some sort of joy in his life. So I'm sure he was thrilled to do this. So, uh, Jeff, I, I just hope you're ready. Are you ready? Well, I, I hope Will has time to do it because the basketball team he's covered is not taking up much of his time, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, it's not a good time to be a Pelicans fan. So good for Will for for – Owning it and paying off his uh, his debt to the bet. There we uh, go. I just hope he's got a better voice than you, Larry. My voice, I mean, it's like canary singing. So, I mean, it's, come on. I was I was in Rummel's rendition of Grease, my friend, singing solos. I can sing. I don't know about nice. Will. I have no idea. So, on that note, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder Podcast. Of course, uh, our Thursday pods will be behind the Athletics Paywall, the Athletics uh, Podcast Network. So, jump on Subscribe, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. And, of course, uh, our Monday pods are always free. So you can go check those out, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. So for Jeff, I'm Larry. And, again, Danielle, I apologize for your ears as we wrap up this podcast with our own Pelicans writer for The Athletic, Will Guillory. Talk to you guys next week. All right, guys. I'm here to pay off my debt. It's been a long time, longer than it should have been, but I'm going to go ahead and take care of Larry and his stupid Rumble Raiders. Uh, I want to shout out to the better half of Duncan Holder, Jeff Duncan, the guy that makes this show go. Uh, and I uh, couldn't find the right music for to, to get this right, so I'm going to just go ahead and hit it a cappella. Here we go. Royal Rumble Raiders, red, white, and blue. Roll Rumble Raiders, ramble right on through. Onward and upward, we're flying high. The Raiders are all for victory, it's written in the sky. We are the proud of the Southland, we're here to stay. Raiders, the champions, boldly show the way. Oh, we never give in till we get a win. And we will win today, Rumble Raiders shout hooray, fight! That's it. I wish Rumble the worst of luck in the upcoming state championship game. And uh, Larry, I will see you again in basketball season. Again, shout out to Jeff.